see it, friends, and welcome to The World Transformed. Tonight we're talking about saving the billionaires. My name is Phil Bowermaster, and with me in the virtual studio is my co-host, Stephen Gordon. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Phil. How are you? Well, I am super fantastic. Happy Monday. How are you, my friend? Man, doing great, doing great. I, I, I just wonder about the title, though, Phil. I mean, uh, is it appropriate to even worry about this? You know, we ought to get into this, huh? Well, we're going to have to get into it. You know, you're not suggesting my title is clickbait, are you? you that, that, that. <laughs> not, not even a little, right? You weren't going there, were you? I, I hope. I hope. <laughs> so we've 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 got. Is there an effort underfoot to save the billionaires? If so, who would be behind it? Take one guess. Okay, it's kind of in the <laughs> kind of in the title. But uh, interesting, interesting piece that was over on Medium. Dot com survival of the richest by Douglas Rushkoff. This is a really interesting story that this author tells. I guess he's kind of a technologist, a little bit of a futurist, and he's asked to advise a secret meeting of billionaires. And uh, let me read a little snippet from that. Which region will be less impacted by the? Th- these are questions that the billionaires had for him as he met. He thought he was going to a conference, thought he was going to give a talk to a group, and instead he's in a conference room with like five guys, five very rich individuals. So here's what they're asking him. Which region will be less impacted by the coming climate crisis, New Zealand or Alaska? Is Google really building Ray Kurzweil a home for his brain, and will his consciousness live through the transition, or will it die and be reborn as a whole new one? Finally, the CEO of a brokerage house explained that he had nearly completed building his own underground bunker system and asked, how do I maintain authority over my security force after the event? And this is a quote from later. He says, for all their wealth and power, they don't believe they can affect the future. In other words, here these guys are. They're not going to, they've given up on trying to save the world, so they're out to save their own skins, basically, right? That's what they're, that's, that's their concern. And so they're asking these questions about if there's going to be a climate crisis, should I go to New Zealand? Should I go to Alaska? Is there any hope that I can get my brain uploaded via this technology that Google is developing? And and this, this telling question, which we'll come back to, because the answer he gave I think is quite interesting, but we'll, we'll work our way around to that. How do I basically, how do I keep control of my minions, right? You know, if I'm a... <laughs> I'm a, <laughs> a barter man, you know, it, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Whiskey, uh, but, you know, or, uh, or ammunition, something like that, you know, anything that can trade, right? That's why you... Yeah. Can, <laughs> well, ex- exactly. I mean, this is almost like a meeting of the incompetent Bond villains, right? Or maybe this is how Bond villains get their start, right? They, they get together with other potential Bond villains, and and they have futurists come and talk to them, right? So, so they they start to outline their their plan for their headquarters and 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 how they're going to control their minions. And pretty, and pretty soon, Drax is building a a base in space, right? To uh, we okay. uh, not a week goes by that we don't talk about perhaps one of the finest films ever made. I think, which is. <laughs> Which one is Moonraker? That? Moonraker. Yeah, thank you. I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't dredge up the title, but uh, we'll have to go there one of these weeks. You know, there's an interesting from the Spy Who Loved Me to Moonraker. It's kind of the. It's the twin James Bond movies, right? It's like one. They're, they're exactly the same plot. Exactly yeah. the same plot. Well, plot oh, yeah. for plot. Unlike all the other James Bond movies that have those wild. Well, well even plots. more so. Even more yeah. so. Uh, the, you know, it, the whole series is a little bit cookie cutter, but those two movies are. I mean, seriously, uh, they took you know, Spy Who Loved Me and said, "Okay, 
uh, Star Wars did real well. Let's do this again in space. I mean, that's pretty much uh, that's that's the whole thing. So. Well, and in fact, at the end of in the credits, at the end of the Spy Who Loved Me, it says James Bond will return in. And now I can't remember the, the name of the one that came after Moonraker, but that was the one they were promoting. And so right, right uh, for your eyes only. For your eyes only. Thank you. And. Instead, Star Wars had been such a hit, they decided, well, we're going to make a Space James Bond movie first. And so they just remade yeah. it. Okay, this has been a Monday geek out of the first <laughs> order. But we, must, <laughs> we must get back to the actual show here. So. We, we, we must come back to our topic, which is these, these five villains who want to save themselves and are flying futurists to talk to them about it. For all their wealth and power, they don't believe they can affect the future. Well, my first question is, is that are, are we entirely sure that that's the case? We were, we were talking last week about this wacky new idea I have called the benefit of the doubt, and I'm going to go ahead and extend it even to these evil-sounding billionaires just for a moment. And what if, like the rest of us, these guys think that there's lots of different ways the future might pan out, many of which right. are ways that they can influence and things will go better. But some of the bad ways where things don't work out according to their plans, and they're trying to mitigate against those. Now, granted, they still don't sound like nice people, right, because they want to control their well, opinions. And- when, when people are engaged in uh, activities of self-preservation, it doesn't come across well to, uh, to, to others that can't afford the same level of, you know. I don't know about you, Phil, but I do not uh, possess an underground bunker, and so, therefore, I'm... But uh, I, I'm going to extend the benefit of the doubt as well, Bill, because, for example, let me give you a for example. Uh, Elon Musk has got like a Mad Max mode on uh, some of his uh, self-driving uh, big rigs that he's uh, attempting to produce, right? Yeah. And uh, maybe even doing some of that for some of the Tesla automobiles. Does that mean that he necessarily believes that uh, – and what, what, what that mode is, it includes, like, you know, a complete climate uh, isolation of the cab from, you know, the other things around it. Does that mean he necessarily believes that everything's going to fall apart? Um, probably not. Is, is such a vehicle better suited for driving through an area with a brush fire or something like that? Absolutely. So preparing for the worst sometimes can, uh, can help you even when the worst doesn't exactly happen. It's just uh, sometimes it's just a kind of a hardening of uh, infrastructure, which is maybe not such a bad idea. Well, I can so. tell you that in case, in case things, and we'll come back to Elon Musk, because I think he, uh, obviously he's a person whose name comes up on the show once in a while, and, and when we talk about billionaires, <laughs> we usually end up talking about Elon, and, we, and he's, he's kind of a major player in this story tonight. But in my home, in my garage, I have long-term food storage to last a certain period of time, and I've got the means of storing water for a certain period of time. In case things ever get really bad, I don't have an underground bunker, but I have those two things, right? Just in case something really horrible happens. Now, when I did that, I was thinking about myself and my family, right? I right. did not, I did, I, I had no means of doing that for the whole neighborhood. So exactly. In, in some ways, I does that make I'm, you a bad person? No, I think that makes your first, uh, your, your, your first responsibility is to yourself and your family. And by doing so, if you're if bad things were ever to happen, uh, and you're not one of the starving or, or, or dying of thirst uh, people, uh, you're in better position to help others anyway. So does that make you bad? No, it doesn't at all. Yeah, and, try, uh, trying to survive isn't necessarily bad. 
And no, it's it, kind of it's kind of what human humanity has done. Yeah, and and I hope anyone who's listened to the show knows that I haven't given up on the future just because I'm also preparing for something bad that might happen. Right? That those yeah. those two things don't necessarily go together. I can think that the future is going to be pretty cool and still have a just in case option, which maybe that's yeah. what these guys are working on. I, I just I just throw that out there. That, that yeah, and maybe it's just a maybe they think we ultimately get to something great, but it might be a bumpy ride, and right. uh, they're just yeah. So. so so we're throwing the benefit of the doubt even towards billionaires. That's that's how generous we are. That's that's how soft we've become in our old age, Stephen. That we're even being nice to billionaires. <laughs> so uh, let's let's read a bit more. This this gets this gets interesting. So our author here he says there's nothing wrong with madly optimistic appraisals of how technology might benefit human society, but the current drive for a post-human utopia is something else. It's less a vision for the wholesale migration of humanity to a new state of being than a quest to transcend all that is human, the body, interdependence, compassion, vulnerability, and complexity. As technology philosophers have been pointing out for years now, the transhumanist vision too easily reduces all of reality to data, concluding that humans are nothing but information... He's got this in quotes. Humans are nothing but information processing objects. I don't know who he's quoting. I don't know. I I just copied Yeah, that doesn't sound like a real quote, does it? I've never heard a transhumanist say that. I can imagine some of them saying it, but I don't know. I don't know who, in, in particular, he has in mind. I, I think this is an awfully sweeping statement, but he may be onto something here. Okay, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt here now, now just for a moment, because definitely there are a lot of transhumanists who look at being human as just this set of limitations that we have to overcome. Right? That the, they don't necessarily put a lot of value on what we currently are. And I think that raises the question of, well, is human ever a thing that even conceptually we would want to stop being? I don't. No, no matter how transhuman I ever become in my craziest fantasies, I still want to be human. You know what I'm saying? So there, there is yeah. just the, the, this concept of what it even means to be you want the You want the emphasis to be on the second half of that compound word, right? Transhuman. Yeah, I think a yeah. transhuman is a human. A posthuman is a posthuman a human, you know. And and if not, if not, what are they, right? So if we go fully digital, and let's just talk about this for a minute, because we tend to say, hey, if we could just digitize, then it's the same thing, only digital. And it sounds great, you know. We're in a fully immersive virtual reality, but it's just the same as the real world, or it's good enough, and the life you're living could be really awesome, just in inside that inside that virtual reality, or there's this digital version of you running and it's effectively you because they've copied all the important stuff and that's you. But you think about the shows we've done over even just the last few weeks talking about the impact that phones we carry around or social media that we participate in, how profoundly those have changed human interaction and how, how profoundly those have affected people's lives. And that's just technology that we're using externally, right? If, right? if those technologies can have that kind of impact on us, can we have any idea if, you know, what it would do to us to get that fully immersed into digital technology, not even all the way uploaded, but just even a step or two from where we are right now, right? It, it seems to me that there really are big risks there around society and around the value and, I don't know, quality of human life that are in play 
when we when we talk about moving ahead with these technologies. Does that mean I don't want to? No, it doesn't mean that. Obviously, I'm kind of a fan of technology, but there's something there. I think that that those of us who are enthusiastic about these things tend to gloss over just how risky a proposition this might be. I don't know. What do you think? I think it's possible to be excited about the possibilities of the future and still and still go, you know what, guys, maybe we take this, we take baby steps in these directions because we don't want to lose something that's vital to our humanity. And it, it's quite possible that you, uh, you don't uh, realize how important it was to us before it's gone, you know. I don't know. Can I, you know, let me just kind of give an example. Let's say you're a, a parent that's concerned about your, your child going off to do something. Uh, and nowadays, you might uh, say, well, you know, this 18, 19-year-old, you know, they're, they're nominally an adult, but let's uh, have I put an app on their phone. I can see real-time where they're at. That's a very different experience when, they, when a child goes off that way, right? You yeah. can literally follow them on a moving map and, you know, check in with them and the things like that moment by moment as they drive, right, versus uh, the experience we had, Phil, when, uh, you know, when you left home for the first time. I mean, it, you pretty much probably called, the, you know, once during the first week, right, to let them know that you made it to the your college or whatever it was that you were doing then, right? Yeah, every it's, time, uh, every call began with my mom saying, why haven't you called? Right. I mean, it was... <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, some mom, I called uh, an hour ago. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I am calling now. You understand. Growing up is them. a different experience now, right? I mean, um, yeah. it, it's it's a different experience now. And and is growing up important enough? You know, is that an important enough thing that if we lose something in the uh, in the cutting of the uh, apron strings, you know, uh, the cutting of the umbilical cord, whatever, right? Does that mean that uh, people don't grow up quite the same way that they used to? Uh, yeah, there's arguments to be made there. Do we lose something vital in that now, you know, we can we can helicopter parent and, and until someone's in their 30s? Exactly. <laughs> as, as, long so, as, as long as you're able to connect and, and they haven't shut right. you off, you can, you, can, exactly. you, can, you can push right on. It's true. I, that, that's, a, that's a great example. I know it's relevant to your life. Yeah, what you're <laughs> exactly. It's, some, it's something I've had to think about uh, recently, uh, but uh, being being a parent of uh, kids that age. So, anyway, but 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 it's, but it's a good example of how. And you think about it. There's nothing better than that than the, the concern a parent has for their kid, and technology that enables that is awesome. Well, great technology that lets me take better care of my family. Perfect. Let's me stay better in tune with my kids. Awesome. But you're right. Even good, good, good stuff like that can spin us off in unexpected directions. It can have outcomes that we never anticipated and can lead us to places that we never would have guessed. And the, the kind of independent development of the human adult into their own life, is that at risk? I don't know. I mean, you know, it doesn't seem like it's that big a deal, but you add that to everything else, right? Everything else that the technology is touching and suddenly you you got to scratch your head a little bit and say, "Well, what what is it doing?" So let's come back to let's come back to our hero here and the advice he gave to the billionaires who said, "How do I how do I control my people?" And I kind of like his answer. He said, "They should be engaging with their security staffs as if they were members of their own family." The more they can expand this ethos of inclusivity to the rest of their business practices, supply chain management, sustainability efforts, and wealth distribution, well, 
well, I'll just throw that one in. What, what the heck? The less chance there will be of an event in the first place. And he was talking about how this whole thing was predicated on responding to some kind of event. So nuclear right. war, climate change, whatever, whatever it would be. But this answer doesn't seem wrong to me at all, right? This is, this is a good idea anyhow, yeah. right? This ethos of inclusivity, to, to be thinking about these people as people that you care about, maybe that would be reciprocal then if you, if you want them to care for me, <laughs> which even makes me think, okay, well, uh, okay, I've stored food and I've got a, a means of storing water for, for myself and my family. Maybe I've got to put a couple things in the garage that are just to help out the community should things go south. I can't feed and water, provide water or medical care for all of them, but who knows? Maybe there's something I can do, but at least be aware of it from from that point of view and i think i think that's a really good idea but when you swing that back around to these awful transhumanists and their efforts to dehumanize us through their through their facile technology visions right so all all transhumanists and all the visionary billionaires they're they're really just driven by self-interest they're never going to have this kind of ethos well re-enter elon musk right here he is here's Here's our favorite guy to talk about. And what did he do over the weekend? Well, he announced that he had developed a kid-sized submarine to rescue these teens trapped in this cave in Thailand. Now, we're recording this show on Sunday, and it's airing on Monday. So this story is actually breaking as we speak. Elon Musk announced that he had developed this thing and was shipping it to Thailand. And just a couple hours after that, the folks in Thailand announced that they were going to begin rescue operations. So it's entirely possible that this entire story has now played out by the time you're listening to this. But it hasn't for us yet. That's why we don't know the end. That's why, as we're talking about it, we don't, we don't know what happens. We hope a good, positive, wonderful thing happens, obviously, and we, we hope for the safety of the kids and everyone involved in this truly heroic rescue effort. But, but just to swing it to Elon Musk here for a second, Throughout this process, there were people in Thailand talking to him about whether his boring company could help, and he sent people to go look, and he immediately gets to work on what can we do. He started talking about let's put a vinyl, basically like a bouncy house tunnel in there that they could walk through, and went back and forth with people to, to, to talk about that solution. That wasn't, that wasn't viable just because of the sharpness of the rocks and the smallness of the passages. And then he comes up with this other day, hey, wait a minute, I've got something similar that I'm working on for SpaceX. Let's make, take this pod and turn it into a tiny submarine. And he built one. And he sent it to Thailand to try to help these kids. Is, is this the act of a man who doesn't care about other people? You know? And to do kind of the reverse of the benefit of the doubt, let's, the benefit of cynicism uh, is what I guess I'll call this. Let's just imagine that he's totally motivated by self-interest and he cares only about the good PR that this would generate. Sure, okay. If, if he were able to come up with a solution that saves these kids, even under those circumstances, objectively, good has come of it, right? That's true, yeah. Even, even if uh, some of these billionaires are complete self-interested jerks, their existence and their ability to, uh, to accomplish things in short order, amazing things like this. How, how many hours? I mean, they... You know, because he put teams on it, and, and he he already had two thirds of what he needed from other projects, right? 
he was able to accomplish something in just a few hours. How many? You they know, built how, the how thing in eight been? hours. Built yeah. it in eight hours. So it was going to take twice as long to fly it to Thailand as it took for them to build it once they had the idea. Right. The, the trick was he, he's probably had people sitting around the clock brainstorming different solutions since since this thing broke. And I think you're right. Uh, to, to, pull it, to pull it back around, do I think that that's Elon Musk, that he's a complete self-interested jerk? No, I really don't. Uh, I think that he's a uh, he's he's a mixture of self-interest and uh, he's like the rest of us. He thinks about others and he also thinks a lot about himself and uh, he's he's imperfect and uh, he's just a human being. But um, this is an amazing thing that uh, you or I feel would not be in the position to do. So is it good to have a few of these people? Yeah, I think so. I think, I so. think it is. I think it is. Yeah. In, in the end, it, that, that's not the solution that they used, but they might well have. If, yeah. if, the, if the boys had been located in a somewhat different place in the cave and monsoons weren't coming so rapidly, they might well have used the boring company to, to get a hole, a hole down in there and, and rescue him that way. He could have right. played a role in this. He, he did not. But the fact that he immediately put himself, made himself available to it and really had people working on a lot of different solution, potential solutions to it, I think says something about says something about Elon Musk. And yeah, he is definitely a self-promoter. There's no question about that. You, right. you, you look at this man, if you know anything about him, you know it because he's made great efforts for you, for you to know things about him. But I think he looks at those kids in that cave and he sees humanity. You know what I mean? Right. It's like right. that's why he wants to go to Mars. He thinks we're kids trapped in a cave and things, right. time's running out. He is driven by a vision of helping humanity, not just of creating an escape hatch for people like himself. And I feel right. that that's what's truly missing from the analysis by this author. Exactly. I, I might have had some great ideas for how to help those kids too, but I couldn't build one. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I couldn't build a solution and fly. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you couldn't call together a team of engineers, you know, 100 strong and say, okay, I need, I need, let's, let's build something right now. Yeah, you go, go on Twitter. Okay, there were millions, literally millions of people thinking up ideas for how to rescue these kids, right? How many right. people could actually build the solution and fly it to Thailand, right? Not that many. Right. And he's, he's the one who was actually able to do it. So I, I like where Rushkoff ends. Let's think of people as family. I think that actually there's some of that going on, even uh, definitely amongst transhumanists and even among the billionaires, I want to end with a quote from P.J. Manny. Her essay from our book, Visions for a World Transformed, Only Connect, she says, how do we get to that place of fearlessness and empathy? Well, there's no first step to this process of connection and understanding. And there's no last step either. No change, no matter how disruptive, occurs in a vacuum. And the seeds can be seen years, even centuries before. We're on our way, but could be waylaid at any time. Can the growing technological hive mind prevent the existential risks that could end the human experiment? Yes, but we have to take the next step and the next and start running quickly between the various existential threats that hang over us and our species penchant for self-destructive short-term thinking and bad risk assessment. We may not have much time left. So there it is. If we're, if we're trapped in a cave, we've got to think about each other. We've got to care about each other. And she's a transhumanist, right? She's thinking this right. way. I think there, there's a lot of us who think this way and act this way. So she says we got to get to the next step. What is the next step? Well, we'll talk next time about some steps that might be helpful.
to that end. We've run a little bit long, but this has been a good discussion, interesting discussion. And we will be back Wednesday with a brand new show. Look forward to talking to you then, Stephen. It's been great having you all with us. And until next time, live to see it. <laughs> <laughs>